1: We free ourselves from patterns of unhealthy behavior? Why do we stay in relationships that make us miserable? Why do we make up stories and excuses about the root of our discontent, pretending that something other than the relationship is causing us to feel unhappy? Our guest today suggests that the price of staying in harmful relationships can be a hefty one, including our relationship with ourself. Isa Gucciardi tells us that each of us can learn to live our life with courage, acceptance, and joy instead of fear, anxiety, and self-doubt. She calls us taking radical self-responsibility for our well-being and the well-being of others. Today, we'll be exploring how to engage constructively with the inevitability of suffering with our guest, Isa Gucciardi. Dr. Issa Gucciardi developed a depth hypnosis and the coming to peace process after years of academic training and in the field studying with shamanic and spiritual teachers. Her studies include linguistic anthropology, comparative religion, and transpersonal psychology, all of which forms the basis of her approach to healing and wholeness. She founded the Foundation of the Sacred Stream, a school for consciousness studies in Berkeley, California, to house the training programs. In addition to training hundreds of people to be spiritual counselors, she has taught thousands of students seeking personal growth in the Foundation's other academic programs of applied shamanism, applied Buddhist psychology, integrated energy medicine, and empowered living. She's the author of Coming to Peace, Resolving Conflict Within Ourselves and With Others. Join us for the next hour as we explore how the processes of coming to peace can provide a pathway to reconciliation and wholeness with our guest, Dr. Issa Gucciardi. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Isa, Welcome. Thank you, Justine. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I would love for you to give us a little background on how you came to depth hypnosis. I know you had an ailment, and a doctor asked you a question. Can you tell us about that?
2: Yeah, I was um, raising two small children and running a business at the height of the dot com in downtown San Francisco. And... I was happy, you know, I thought everything was going great. And then I get these blood tests back and it's like, okay, you've got this autoimmune problem that's going to be with you the rest of your life. And here are the medications that you have to take. And I was like, I can't do this. This is not possible. There must be something else I can do. And that doctor, the question that he asked me as he was in the middle of explaining the whole thing to me, said, you know, some people who who have this particular issue have suffered some kind of loss? Have you, have you had some kind of a loss? And I was surprised coming out of his mouth because he was a very traditional, empirical kind of guy and that he would think that there would be anything related to emotional or mental issues with a physical problem. So I really paid attention when he asked. And so I really sat down and thought about it. And I, I thought, you know, I think I may have lost myself. You know, like I you know, I'm doing all this work for the for the company. I had a translation company and we were booming, booming, booming. And you know, I was dedicated to being there for my kids at three o'clock, picking them up. So I was running the company and then picking my kids up and, you know, spending time with them until they went to bed and then working all night and then getting up with them in the morning and taking them to school and then, you know, working while they were in school, you know, so I I really didn't have any time for myself. And so I thought, I'm going to have to find out, you know, what have I lost? And that took me on a long journey. And really what I had lost was a lot of memory of my own conflict-laden childhood. It was one of those things that I was trying to forget and... I got myself real busy making sure that I forgot, and when I started working with a hypnotherapist, I started realizing, you know, there's these parts of myself that have a voice, and they want to be heard, and I need to listen to them, and of course... I could only access those parts of myself in that altered state of consciousness that hypnosis produces because it kind of disables the conscious mind's defenses and the conscious mind's effort to kind of keep things orderly. And so I had quite a path uh, for myself and my own healing. I did heal myself from the autoimmune disease uh, with hypnotherapy and by returning to my longstanding meditation practices and reengaging with my shamanic practices. And I thought, you know, if this helped me, I want to help other people. So I sold my business and I went back to school. And I studied hypnotherapy and transpersonal psychology. And as I sat down with people to start doing hypnosis, the information about soul retrieval, power retrieval, came flooding in as I realized I can't just do a typical hypnotherapeutic script here. I have to generate the soul retrieval that's going to help this person deal with this issue. And then, you know, I, I started realizing, okay, well, this person who cannot rest, who's got a mind that's going crazy, needs meditation. So we need to bring in some meditative processes. And pretty soon, depth hypnosis was born. And I called it depth hypnosis because of the way that it helps you access the deepest parts of the self. And it ultimately combines shamanism and Buddhist principles with transpersonal psychology and hypnotherapy, uh, particularly uh, strong emphasis on regression work in depth hypnosis, where we're doing age regressions, past life regressions, prenatal regressions. Because again, it's in these parts of the self that we often find the roots of symptoms that present themselves. So, you know, people come to hypnosis, for instance, with, you know, a desire to quit smoking or a desire to stop overeating or a desire to be able to present to a group of people without having a lot of fear, or maybe they have fear of flying. These are the reasons why people come to hypnosis for help, but the truth is that this symptom is the tip of the iceberg of a deeper issue as it was with me the the autoimmune disease was a the tip of the iceberg of a deeper process of internal forgetting that I had been engaged with. And the effects of that internal forgetting were that I actually was losing parts of myself, losing my ability to hold my physical structure in place. And by working with the emotional and mental and spiritual aspects uh, and effects of that loss, I was able to correct the physical symptoms. And this is what we do all the time in depth hypnosis. I've done it with thousands and thousands of people by now. And it works in a very um, direct way with people. uh, Depending on what the person's symptom is, the symptom becomes the path to healing in depth hypnosis. So
1: in your case, Isa, your body lets you know that that something was out of balance, right that it came in the form of an illness of the autoimmune uh, illness. Uh-huh. I would love for you to say something uh, I know your background you you've lived in as uh, when you were younger in many different places in the world. you started off in Hawaii and also Mexico and then Iran, I think. Saudi Arabia. Uh, Oh, Saudi Arabia. And and Lebanon, yeah. And Mm -hmm. Lebanon. So I would love for you to just give us a little taste of how those
2: places in the world influenced you. That's a great question, Justine. It's something that I've really tried to understand myself, and so thank you for asking that question. Um, You know, I think that, uh, you know, certainly Hawaii... um, with its incredible beauty. And, and you know, I had this amazing relationship with the nature there that was very, very informative to me as a young person and was really the basis of my opening in terms of shamanic understandings. And I didn't realize it at the time, but it certainly was. And the experience in Mexico really focused on my relationship with the Huichol Indians who were the ranch hands at a a ranch where I was left... I had a series of being, of experiences of being parked by my family, you know. And so they would park me at this ranch, which was just about the best thing they could have done, because these people were incredibly kind and really began to show me how being in nature and being among people could actually happen at the same time. Because up until that time, I had had this experience of there's peace in nature— And there's conflict with humans, (laughs) you know, and it's like, and my earliest question that I can remember is how do I bring the peace of nature into the world of humans?
1: And the uh, the Sholes had a a rather um, cohesive community. They they showed you a different way of being with people. Is, Is that
2: correct? That's right, because they were very much aligned with the natural world. And so it was very instructive to me. And then when I moved to Saudi Arabia, I had an experience of a completely different experience of people being very much, you know, among the Bedouins. I I did have this very wonderful experience of being able to be among the Bedouins uh, because we lived out in the middle of the desert and I would sneak off and go hang out with the goats and eventually the Bedouins would catch up with their goats and I could talk to them. Uh, It was very off-the-reservation kind of experience for a woman in Saudi Arabia at the time. I was a young teen, and the more typical experience was, you know, very stringent strict rules about how you dress, where you go, how you act. And, you know, that was an almost was repressive, very repressive, and in the book I describe the experience of being near the marketplace after the weekly executions and the smell of blood after those executions was just so intense in 110 degree heat and the smell of blood and knowing of all the suffering that had happened there. And I was like, what is going on with people? You know, like, what is the matter with human beings that they're doing this to each other? And it really, you know, ignited me to try to understand, you know, what, what is this world you know and what are the arbitrary rules that are keeping us from being able to be with ourselves in a natural way and so you know i began studying you know cultural anthropology trying to find a culture that really did reflect like the wechel culture the peace of nature
1: I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Isa Gucciardi. She is the author of Coming to Peace, Resolving Conflict Within Ourselves and With Others. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, sacredstream.org, sacredstream.org, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine willis toms You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Issa Gucciardi, and she is the author of Coming to Peace, Resolving Conflict Within Ourselves and With Others. Issa, um, in, in that talking about depth hypnosis and your, also your process coming to peace, um, one of the main ingredients in that has been uh, the idea in the process of deep listening. I I would love for you to talk about what your view of that kind of deep listening is.
2: Well, you know, one of the best examples we have of this is in the processes of the caucus of the Iroquois League that are described by Benjamin Franklin and other founders of the uh, U.S. Constitution, writers of the U.S. Constitution, who actually drew upon the Iroquois uh, Federation's way of creating um, harmony and involving different individual interests into a structure where the common good could be addressed as individual interests were addressed. In those caucuses, there was a process where you would have the members of the circle who were participating in the caucus who had some kind of a conflict. The the Iroquois uh, Federation was actually founded in order to resolve all of the problems that were coming out of the blood feuds among the different tribes. And so they were really trying to resolve this conflict. And one of the primary ways in which they did this was to give each member plenty of time to talk. So there would be a group of people in a circle that would have been prepared, specially cleared of any kind of extraneous energies or imprints, and prepared just to hold the conflict, the discussion about conflict. And everyone would be asked to connect with their own inner wisdom, to have mutual respect for others, to tell the truth as they knew it. Uh, to be able to maintain a personal responsibility about their actions and relationship to each other. And one of the ways that this was enforced was by a talking stick or a talking stone that was passed from person to person. And only the person who had the talking stick could speak. And that meant there was no interrupting, there was no over-talking, and this was absolutely radical for Europeans coming into contact with a governing body that was not screaming over each other, you know, trying to land punches, the whole kinds of things that was going on in the British Parliament.
1: Yeah, If you look at... um Pictures of parliament, even today, you see people just screaming at each other across the aisle to each other. I mean, it's
2: still kind of shocking to see how they're yelling at each other in the way that they are. And that sort of thing would not be tolerated. If someone were to do that sort of thing in one of these caucuses, they would be asked to take a moment of silence. And then when they could return and speak with respect, that they could return. And, you know, it was interesting because this process that I just described is also a process that you find in the Pacific. And in Hawaii, it's called Ho'oponopono. And these are the processes whereby, you know, if there's someone has an illness or if there's some kind of conflict within the society... One of the shamans or the kahunas calls, like a caucus, a circle of people, and everyone speaks deeply and listens deeply to one another about any kinds of hidden issues that might be contributing to the conflict or the illness. And often the kahuna will not heal until the Ho'oponopono has taken place, until the exposure of all the truth and the understanding of mutual responsibility has been laid bare through these circles. You know,
1: Isa, one of the things that you just said is um, as an aspect of this is telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Now, th- those are telling the truth. I mean, that may seem easy to tell the truth, uh, but this is a, a big process and one that is difficult, it's it's complex, it's not easy for us to tell the truth to one another. And so you're talking about telling the truth, number one, in a self-container, but we're not used to telling the truth, are we? Right,
2: and we're not used to listening, we're not used to saying it, and we're not used to hearing it. And the, the really wonderful thing about the coming to peace process is that it creates a container for the truth to be held and told and known. And, you know, coming to peace processes are always taking place in the midst of conflict. And what I always say about, about conflict is that you can find peace in the heart of conflict. Conflict will lead you to peace If you allow it to teach you and the way that you allow it to teach you is by listening to all the different aspects of the conflict and by taking responsibility and telling the truth about your own activity and creating the conflict and being able to listen to another person's truth about their responsibility and creating the conflict. And one of the things that happens is that as Everyone tells the truth as everyone tries to connect with their deepest inner wisdom in speaking is that people realize this person has the same goal that I have. They want to be happy. They want to be free. And the question then becomes, how do we help each other both meet our own happiness and create our own happiness as we help the other person create their own happiness. And this becomes the subject of the process as the conflict is, the roots of the conflict are exposed with the truth telling. And I have seen it hundreds and hundreds of times. Coming to peace is the, conflict resolution process for families and couples and communities within the depth hypnosis process so i work with it every day so isa you know you talk about like conflict
1: as a gateway for healing mm-hmm. and let's talk about like working with a family mm-hmm. so and you give several wonderful examples in your book about actual conversations that have that that take place What do you do? The first question that I had before I got into this part of the book, the first question I had was, okay, so I'm in a family that's in conflict and a lot of anger is flashing around and and I have judgments about all of this, and so I want to do this process. What do
2: we do when not everyone wants to participate? Well, of course, you can't force everyone to participate, but the fact that they're not participating becomes an issue, right? That's the truth. That becomes the truth, that they are not willing to participate. And it's true that sometimes people don't want to participate because the coming to peace process is interrupting to power hierarchies that exist within families and communities. And so the people in power who are the ones that are often dictating the imbalance don't want to be challenged so if they don't want to be challenged then they are excluded from the process by their own hand and then what happens is everyone else comes up with a way of working with this person who's not participating and they come to an agreement about the best way to interface with this person that is based on mutual respect that's based on honesty, truth telling and the person's negative behavior has less traction in that case and people have a different way of orienting themselves so to that. So there's an
1: acceptance of it, rather than resisting it, saying, "Oh, we we must bring them to the table and they must mm-hmm. participate in the same way the rest of us." Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of a wonderful example that you give. There, there was a family that you describe where there was a stepfather and a mother and three daughters, and the oldest daughter, a teenage daughter, was really having trouble with the stepfather. They were they were disrupting the entire family uh, with their their. Uh, aggravation with one another and um, so there was a moment and he wasn't really participating so much in the process but there was a moment that he asked the question of the daughter he said well what makes you think I'm such a jerk and I just thought oh that's it and, and then you talked about how the facilitator then just went in with that question, because in some ways, that was an opening question. That was a sincere question. He finally asked an authentic question with some slight degree of curiosity. Mm-hmm. And so what would you say about that, how, how that process then
2: unfolded? Well, I mean, you're right to uh, name that as the turning point because then the girl could really tell her truth, you know, that he had been overbearing and that he was being controlling. and, And then he could tell his truth that the reason that he was being overbearing and controlling was because he was trying to make sure that everything would be okay for her because her father wasn't showing up and he knew how hurt she was by her father not being there. So he wanted to make everything perfect so that she wouldn't feel the loss of her father and there was other other children there at the at the coming to peace process and one of them the youngest wisely said you know there's nothing that you can do to make up for our father not showing up and that was a big revelation for him like that was a truth that he had not wanted to hear cuz he he had wanted to believe that he could make it better for them And when the one who was having the horrible fights with him realized that he was trying to actually make things better and that he was upset with the father for not showing up and that she was upset with the father for not showing up, then they realized that they were taking out their anger at the biological father on each other. And they realized that they were both hurting and that he was trying to come up with a solution. Then there was this huge reconciliation and a lot of apologies and, you know, a lot of determination to create, uh, you know, that he was going to work on his own internal process to try to understand why he was so driven to try to make things better for them.
1: So Isha when when this happens it's often a surprise right. isn't it 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 kind of then goes boom down yeah, into yeah. this other level and you can feel it when right. you're doing this work i mean i i've i've spoken to you about the deep circle work that i've done for mm-hmm. for many decades now and you just feel it when there is this breakthrough and it's not that we have to do anything we're not trying to fix a problem but you feel a kind of enlightenment that happens a light bulb goes off in in people and they go, oh, that's what it's about. It wasn't about what we thought it was about right. it's this other issue that is is deeper and and it's
2: it's a, just a marvelous moment when mm. that happens. It's so poignant, right? It's so poignant. And, you know, it's funny. I tell, I, you know, I, that that session happened, you know, many years ago. And every time I touch it, I come to tears. You know, it's... Oh, it's so wonderful. Yeah. That moment. I, I, can, you know? I can understand. Yeah. I'm here with
1: Isa Gucciardi, and she's the author of Coming to Peace, Resolving Conflict Within Ourselves and With Others. And also she does a process called deep hypnosis. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, sacredstream.org, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Issa Gucciardi, and she's the author of Coming to Peace: Resolving Conflict Within Ourselves and With Others. And I'd love for you to say something about the, the process uh, that you, you do in this coming to peace process. And one of the main ingredients, I mean, you talked earlier about how you've tapped into shamanism and and uh, uh, transpersonal psychology and other other forms of uh, therapies uh, in, in, in psychologies and philosophies. And uh, one of them is tapping into that inner wisdom or inner guidance that we, we all have available to us but we, we don't often tap
2: into. So can you say something about that process? Well, one of the things that we do at the beginning of the coming to peace process when a group comes together is we have something that's like a guided meditation, but not exactly a guided meditation. It's actually an adaptation of the shamanic journey, which is designed to connect the initiate or the journeyer with a connection with. What in shamanism is called a helping spirit that takes the form of nature, who then becomes a guide for the shamanic initiates processes of growth and understanding. But we adapt this in the coming to peace process and call the process of the guided meditation a connection with the part of the self that knows your inner truth and your inner wisdom and the the process of the meditation is such that one's own inner imagery is evoked and one's own connection on one's own terms with this connection with this spirit within the self Is made, And we don't even mention the word spirit. We don't talk about, you know, is this inside of you or outside of you? We just talk about this as the part of the self that knows your wisdom and your truth so that people don't get hung up on, you know, any kind of spiritual or religious idea that they have to have about what that should look like. So it's a very personal thing. And once people have that connection, there is a way in which all of the interactions are then... Referent back to that connection. And again, as I said, if someone gets out of line, if someone call, starts calling someone names or refuses to uh, participate once they've agreed to participate, they are asked to connect with this. Uh, part of themselves that has this wisdom and this truth, and they're given sort of a, a time out. And in the Ho'oponopono process, this is called, in the Ho'oponopono process, this is called ho'omalu, which means to come under the protection of. So they like they come back into the protection of this part of themselves so that they can refresh themselves and then come back out into the, engagement, hopefully with a, a broader perspective.
1: So what are some of the examples of how this shows up for different people? Just to give us some examples of, of how it
2: has shown up for different people. Well, um, um, so for instance, I, I'll actually give you an example that I have in the book where in uh, the the father of these girls, the stepfather of these girls, was engaged in an in- internal process trying to understand the internal parts of himself that were and their relationship, and how those two parts were driving his conflict with the girls. So it turns out that he realized that he had this really overbearing sense of responsibility. And there was a part of him that was feeling like he had to take full responsibility for the girl's happiness, and there was another part of him that was thinking, I really do not want to have anything to do with all this responsibility. I can't, I can't manage it. And so he was angry at himself for not being able to hold all of the responsibility in the way that he wanted to. So we did the inner coming to peace process. And a big part of of coming to peace is, of course, the external conflict resolution that we've described. But an essential aspect of coming to peace is the understanding about how parts of the self and conflict within the self drives conflict externally. And so there's this whole understanding about being able to tease out parts of the self that may be in conflict and whose relationship is driving the external conflict. So in that case, the two parts within him that were driving him to be overbearing and kind of angry with his stepdaughter when she didn't do what he thought was going to make everything perfect was, um, there were two parts. One was the part that was that that he experienced uh, in an image of a soldier, and another part that he experienced as a red ball, and so they had this conversation, where they started. You know, the 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 the, the facilitator said, "Could you each describe your relationship to?" Responsibility, and the soldier said, "You have to take responsibility. You have to do your duty." And the red ball says, "Oh, give me a break! Wanted you're just making me puke. You know, you stupid boy scout. You jerk. You know, like so they started like spewing all of these expletives at the soldier. And the you know the facilitator facilitator stepped in and said, "Maybe you should each listen to the guide, the inner self." that has the inner part of the self that has this wisdom and see if, you know, maybe you could try speaking to each other again. So, the red ball, you know, rel- reluctantly kind of stood, st- you know, went quiet for a while and it you know, came out and said, okay, I'm sorry, but you're a Boy Scout jerk, you know, mm-hmm. and then you know, I had to go back in again. And then finally they were able to kind of have a very constructive conversation about uh, sacrifice and duty and what was appropriate and what wasn't and, you know, self-care versus care of others. It was a very constructive conversation that ultimately led him to a lot of self-transformation on his his own, even independent of the relationship with the girls. So w-
1: what you, what was done is uh, uh, guided him to look at his unconscious motivations uh, that w- what what right. was underneath the surface. And this is where the adept hypnosis goes. It goes more to the those root yes. causes, right? right, than than just the surface that are are the. May seem more obvious, but may not really get to
2: the underlying motivation. That's right. That's right. Um, And, you know, by understanding that there is a way to kind of voyage within the self, um, these deeper motivations can be revealed. And in the same way that the deeper motivations are revealed when there's spaciousness in the external uh, relating within the coming to peace circles with other people, that same spaciousness is needed Internally as well. And by going again beyond the confines of the conscious mind, which of course is a very helpful state of mind, but it's a problem solving state of mind that is designed to block out anything that might disrupt order. And of course, we all have things within us that disrupt order (laughs) and -hmm. and we need to be able to access them in a coherent way without traumatizing ourselves or traumatizing others. And so having this part of the self that knows one's wisdom acting as an anchor and then defining the parts of the self that are actually in conflict and then allowing those parts to tell the truth about their experience, again, with a lot of spaciousness. So much is revealed and so much is resolved within the self. That's no small thing
1: when you say allowing spaciousness, because in in Western society, and especially in the U.S., we are so quick to interrupt each other and just jump in with our judgments and with our solutions, and, and we're... Very quick. I mean, we interrupt each other. And so you are saying that this process allows that space of time and a good facilitator will will slow that process down for something else to happen for a dropping down into this other level.
2: Right. That's exactly right. And when people begin to access that part of themselves and when they have the facilitation that they need, uh, that is just enough facilitation in order to help them reveal their experience to themselves, but not so much facilitation so as to interrupt that experience, then they are really able to feel the support of that inner wisdom and be able to admit things to themselves and to allow themselves to see things and be able to access parts of themselves that they had not even known existed, and which are usually the parts of the self that are, have the keys to the kingdom about how to resolve the presenting symptoms that are occurring on the surface. You know, uh, it's just reminding
1: me of my deep circle work, uh, which um, we, we often talk about when people are new to circle work or to this, a process like this. Um, they can be very impatient, uh, and and I call it um, developing circle stamina. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's actually like developing a muscle to be able to sit in that not knowing space, but trusting because this container is safe enough, and having enough mutual respect that that. Magic, I'll call it magic, can happen or surprises can happen or mm-hmm. healing mm-hmm. is possible right. if we're willing to hang out in that landscape with with mutual respect, tolerance, patience, trust. Um, then this kind of magic can happen and personal responsibility
2: will show up. Yeah, everything you're talking about right there are actually Buddhist principles. And, you know, of course, coming to peace draws heavily on Buddhist philosophy as well. And I know myself in my own Buddhist practice, the... Most difficult practices for me are actually patience and tolerance. You know, I'm I'm one of those people that I want to get things done, I want to define things, I want to move on. And this is one of the really great teachings for me as a facilitator of coming to peace processes that the coming to peace has taught me patience it's taught me to trust there will be resolution even if you don't see where it's where it's going to go or where it's going to come from it will be there and that mental discipline is what you do develop in a in a buddhist practice that 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 Patience, tolerance, mutual respect, you know, compassion, bringing compassion to everything. Even when things are getting a little bit heated, to keep moving into that spacious, compassionate place to try to help create an opening to understand where that heated conflict is coming from within the person.
1: You know, I can see, Isa, that this could be... When, when we talk about larger systems, let's say uh, whole political systems or, or, or you know, governments and, and communities and things like that, where we think, oh, we really want to help heal conflicts, that here is a way that we can start to practice it with what is close to us. We can start to practice within our own families, within our own personal relationships. That is no small thing, no, and right. and to to know that we are contributing in some way to the greater whole uh, by by learning how to do this and practicing it, so that it it radiates out um, is. I, I'm I'm giving you my bias and belief system because I th- I think it's effective. So um, I'll have you come in on that in just one moment. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Dr. Issa Gucciardi, and she is the author of Coming to Peace, Resolving Conflict Within Ourselves and With Others. Her website is sacredstream.org, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, I'm here with Dr. Issa Gucciardi, and she's the author of Coming to Peace, Resolving Conflict Within Ourselves and With Others. And I was just talking about how this process, it may seem like a personal process, but but it can radiate out. Do you have any comment about that?
2: Well, I'd like to comment on both ends of that because, you know, you were talking about the personal process, the interpersonal process between family members and community members. But actually, if you begin internally with the inner coming to peace process to understand different parts of yourself, um, like you could have one part that wants success and another part that is afraid of success. And if you could sit down and have an inner coming to peace discussion between those two parts, you might start manifesting things differently in your life. And that would change your community around you, right? So you could, I would comment there, you know, not only in interpersonal relationships is the coming to peace process helpful, but in the internal process of understanding different parts of the self and their. Relationship and how their relationship affect the way that you engage with others externally is, is uh, you know, one place where transformation can occur as conflict is arising in interpersonal relationships. So would this help us avoid, like, polarization, going to that either-or place? Definitely. Of... It, it would resolve dualities, all kinds of dualities, absolutely. And it would help a person become more integrated and whole within themselves so that they could be more effective in bringing their gifts into the world. That would help change the way that the community functions with them and around them.
1: Now, that doesn't
2: mean that we uh,
1: avoid the or, or don't have judgments about bad actions of people. There are certain people that are bad actors out there.
2: Right. I mean, it, just because you can come to peace within yourself doesn't mean that you lose your discernment in being able to determine whether or not someone else is creating conflict or 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 creating peace. And you become more effective in setting down personal boundaries to people who are not creating peace. And you become more effective when you're internally integrated in being able to help those who are dedicated to kind of creating chaos rather than peace look at the way that they're creating reality and look at the effect that they're having on others so it, it's it's very helpful and you know when you're talking about you know having discernment and you know stepping away from judgment i mean you can see if someone is cre- creating you know, creating a situation where someone is being treated unfairly, you need to be able to talk about that. You need to be able to say, this is not helpful. And that doesn't have to be judgmental. And the person can say, you know, what is causing you to create this lack of justice here and what you're doing? And then the person really has to look within themselves in order to understand why are they treating this other person unjustly? And that inner conversation is very, very important. And, you know, you were talking about forgiveness before and that you have to understand your internal motivations in order to be able to participate in the processes of forgiveness effectively. And I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what forgiveness is. And I think that everyone thinks, oh, I should be able to forgive. If I'm a good Christian, I should be able to forgive. If I'm a good Muslim, I should be able to forgive. You know, you shouldn't have to feel like you have to forgive until you have totally understood all of the effects that the trespass has had on you. And when you have two when you have a situation where forgiveness is needed, you have two parties. One party is the one who's wronged, and one party is the wrongdoer. And again, that's a little bit dualistic, but let's just start with that. So the person who has done the wrongdoing has a very different task than the person who has been wronged. And the person who has been wronged has a process of needing to move away from the wrongdoing. And the person who has done the wrongdoing has a process of moving toward the wrongdoing. And because if if you having been wronged are holding on to having been wronged, you're never going to be able to unwind all of the experience of hurt. To get to the place where you can forgive, like being a, a, a victim, right, or being attached. Now, this is from the Buddhist perspective. Wherever there's attachment, there's suffering. And if you are, and if you're holding on to the wrongdoing, and you can't let go of it. You need to look at all of the reasons why you're holding on to it. It's not that you're bad for holding on to it, but you need to understand why are you attached. And that's an inner process of understanding that attachment. So are you saying that like a a premature forgiveness is not going to get you there? That is absolutely right. And, And I think that most people do forgive prematurely. And in my book, there's an example of a woman who tried to forgive her father, thought she had forgiven her father. He had been very violent. He had been a drug user and he'd been violent in their youth. And then he got sober and he insisted that everyone forgive him. And everybody, of course, forgave him because they were all afraid of him because what was he going to do if he didn't forgive them? But she had so much internal conflict around what had happened and he had not actually taken personal responsibility. He had not moved toward... The wrongdoing he had just implemented this, so he had not really acknowledged
1: the wrong that that had caused the, the full the, impact. The full impact of right. what what he had caused. He he just said, "Okay, I'm not doing it anymore. So let's just not go there anymore." Right. So we all have to for, you all have to forgive me. And, and now we're a happy family. Now, now we're in a new territory, yeah. and and mm-hmm. all of that is in the past. Let's not bring it up. This is right. very typical. We right. can all kind of relate mm-hmm. to right.
2: this. And she actually came to me because she had a debilitating. Migraines, And she had taken all of that emotional and mental conflict around having prematurely forgiven her father and put it into her physical symptoms as a way of understanding how much pain she was in. And so we had to kind of go back all the way through that and let her go through all of the different permutations of how he had harmed her. Now, he was not interested in taking responsibility for his wrongdoings on a real level. And this is why, if we truly understand the nature of forgiveness, we don't have to have the person who's done the wrongdoing actually ultimately take responsibility. We can still free ourselves from all of the effects if we look at our attachments. But if a person is willing to take responsibility, then they, then this is another aspect of Buddhist understanding where suffering occurs when you're avoiding something. So if you're avoiding taking responsibility, it's going to create suffering. So if you move toward the fact that you have done something, and if you let yourself come out of all the places where you're trying to deny or avoid the truth, and you let yourself understand what was your internal motivation and your intentionality in doing this, and how have you harmed another, and how can you ask for redress, first you have to forgive yourself. Because it doesn't matter if someone else has forgiven you. If you can't get to the place where you have forgiven yourself, someone else's forgiveness is not going to help. It's not going to
1: help. And this goes back to some of the things that you mention in the book. Um, Let's say the African Society, Ubuntu, I think, uh, uh, Truth and Reconciliation that came out of the apartheid uh, groups that met on a regular basis. So.
2: Well, that was, you know, a really strong effort of trying to get to a place of forgiveness. And of course, Ubuntu is a process that has been practiced in, among Southern African tribes for centuries. And this is a process of coming to peace. Again, it's the same, interestingly, it's the same processes as the Iroquois Federation and as the Ho'oponopono processes in the Hawaiian Islands. So uh, completely different continents have completely similar methods of peacemaking and truth-telling. And there was a really deep, sincere effort on the part of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission after apartheid to allow for all of the people who had been wronged to tell their truth to the wrongdoers and to have the wrongdoers stand in the face of all of the pain that they had created. And the effort was to try to have them take responsibility for it without punishing them. It was an effort to... The deal was you just have to listen. You just have to hear. You just have to be present. You just have to understand and have spaciousness to be able to hear what conflict you have created, and I, th- I am sure that that had a strong effect on those perpetrators that may never be known, and certainly it had a very strong effect on the people who had been harmed. And I think that there was a I think that there was so much that happened. Uh, in those years, that they they would probably need many more years of that kind of process in order to be completely free of it. And of course, you know Nelson Mandela and all of the people who tried to create a state based on, you know, the effort to get to forgiveness through Ubuntu um, had their work cut out for them. You know, so this is where
1: in your work, uh, your shamanic work and and. Your work in, in, with indigenous cultures just brings this wisdom to the fore. there, there is this other deep wisdom that's
2: available to us that comes from these indigenous cultures. And that we can access through our own practice of connecting with uh, the in, with our inner wisdom and connecting with the wisdom of the earth directly. And this is one of the things that we do um, in the Applied Shamanism program at the Sacred Stream is we really help people establish a relationship with the earth that is their own. And that has probably been there all along, but they haven't been Able to connect with it in a real and direct way in order to be able to bring it into their lives to create change. And, you know, when you combine this with the discipline and the perspicacity that Buddhist philosophy and science offers, you really have a, a, a wonderful wisdom system that can create transformation not only on a personal level but on a family level and a society level. Isa, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much, Justine. It's such an honor to be here with you. I've been an admirer of yours for so many years.
1: Thank you so much. I've been here with Dr. Issa Gucciardi, and she is the author of Coming to Peace, Resolving Conflict Within Ourselves and With Others. And her website is sacredstream.org, sacredstream.org. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3623.
0: New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. This program was recorded at Strawberry Hill Productions, a full-service podcast production studio in Novato, California. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions, as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions, whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions.